Hi, and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. I am over the moon to introduce to you this week's guest, Kuhu Therma. So I was first graced by Kuhu's magical, stunningly beautiful, gorgeous, can't say enough good things about presence. Back in maybe 2016, I was home with my family in Berkeley, California, and my family and I went and saw a musical together, one of my favorite things to do, and that musical happened to be Monsoon Wedding at Berkeley Repertory Theater, and Kuhu was starring in it, and she blew me away. She has one of the most incredible voices that I've ever heard. Listen to this episode and then go listen to her sing because it is something very special. And so ever since seeing her on stage, I've been following her journey on Instagram and she was just someone that really inspired me and I knew that I wanted to reach out to and have on this podcast. She just emanates such a grounding, warming, like really professional and beautiful, magical presence that I was like, I want to interview her. And so I'm super excited that we got to have this interview together because I know she's going to be a big fucking deal one day. I mean, she already is to me, but even more so than she already is. So just definitely watch out for the name Kuhu Verma because you will hear her name, no doubt about it. So a little bit more about her. She goes by the pronouns she and they and is a New York City-based artist who has been seen at Joe's Pub, 54 Below, UCB, and countless developmental workshops. Her favorite roles include Zubeda in Academy Award-nominated The Big Sick and Velma in Dave Malloy's Octet, for which she won the Lucille Lortel Award for Outstanding Featured Actor, which is a big fucking deal. And she has a film upcoming coming out on Hulu called Plan B and also a show at The Public, which is where I work. So, you know, small world there. But so excited to dive into this interview with Kuhu. We talk about manifestation and gratitude and what it means to be a fully formed artist. And I think you will really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here is Kuhu. So the first question that I ask everyone when they come on is, what is currently fueling your creative soul? Currently, it's a lot of unheard music, I think. Because I think with the nature of my job, we are forced, not forced to, but we are, you know, expected to listen to a lot of music that is new and other people have written and they and we kind of forget what music speaks to us it's like homework almost and it kind of just like deadens you to like your natural instincts as far as like the stuff that you want to consume so what's fueling me right now is getting into the practice of consumption again on unselfish consumption of media oh i love that what kind of things are you listening to um, I'm listening to, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm asking a lot of my friends for their suggestions, you know, so I'm, I'm exploring a lot of their artists. I just heard of this amazing artist just recently who I really love. I do want to pull it up for you because I do think it's a great recommendation, but it's like heartbreaking music. It's like really, really like I heard it the other day and I fully was just like full, full, full crying. I'll pull it up and I'll, I'll give it to you at the end. But yeah, it's a lot of my friends' suggestions, a lot of their playlists, a lot of the things that they've been, you know, listening to for years that are not just, because my shuffle is so whack. It's little, my Spotify is, it'll be like Christmas song that I had to learn for a random gig. And then like a weird pop song from the 60s that I had to learn for a gig. And so it's like, it's insane right now. (laughs) I love that. Will you get into your story and what you do and how you came to do what you do? Sure. Um, so, I mean, basically for me, you know, a lot of people had a moment where they were like, this is what I'm meant to do. And I choose this. And I think for me, I didn't, 
I didn't have the same kind of experience. I was basically like making these subconscious decisions, always putting the arts first. And then when it came to the time in my life where I had to decide what I wanted to do, I was kind of like, well, I don't think it's about this one decision. I think all of the decisions I've made up to my, my, this point in my life have already made the decision for me. Like, why would I make this a huge decision and put it in something that I don't naturally gravitate toward? It just doesn't make any sense. Like, I made my mind up. My subconsciousness made my mind up a long time ago. Clearly, I'm putting my all my energy, all of my efforts into this one thing. So it wouldn't make sense, really, to, to not choose it. It's already kind of embedded itself into my life. So uh, that's kind of how I got started. I didn't know really that much about Broadway until I was in college. Um, I don't see myself as a Broadway person or as a musical theater person, really. I don't really even see myself as an actor, which is funny to say. I kind of just see myself as someone who like really loved to sing and really loved to tell stories. And then I just kind of stumbled into, oh, I guess this thing encapsulates that. Wow. Yeah. I love what you said too about like, it wasn't a, because I think that is most people's experience where they're like, this is my dream. This is something I want to do. I am choosing to follow this no matter what. But it's like you were just following the things that lit you up. And that naturally is taking you down your path. And I, I'm such a b- big believer that it's like when you're following the things that light you up, that's when you're most aligned. So that is you finding your purpose because you're literally doing what you came here to do. So that's really cool to hear that that's been your path. I know you do a lot of like new work and a lot of cabarets and stuff and so what is what is the difference there for you and and what do you gravitate towards what do you love to do and do you have a preference over the other in between new works and cabarets yeah new works cabarets and then also let's tack in like theater like you did octet so kind of like long-running shows compared to new work developmental process compared to cabarets Mm -hmm. I mean, it was such a, they're also, they teach you such different things. I love new works because there's such a sense of collaboration and such a sense of like community there. And when it's done well, and it's when people, because there are people that are developing their shows that really want to hear the feedback and like really want to shape this thing into something that's really beautiful. And in those cases, it can be so beautiful and so magical because they're really putting their trust in the actors as people that are not just actors, but also, cause we are not ever just actors, you know? We're yeah. actors and also like con- very like, very particular and experienced consumers, which is a skill in itself, you know? Which means that we are critics as well in our own way and have opinions and are, you know, the audience that you're writing for. And that's such a valuable thing to have in the room. I think it's such a shame when writers don't use that. Mm. Very, very, you know, bountiful resource that they have in the room. So I think that 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 is so fun for me is developing a piece. And with Octet, like, even though it was long running, I think that was probably the one show that, like, I developed from the ground up. And then it was also long running. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. And it was crazy to see something that I developed, like, really bloom into this huge beautiful thing and yeah that I mean that taught me like the sustainability of it all and the like how to be a person eight times a week which definitely you don't get the experience of doing that if you're just developing all the time yeah so I think I mean that's that's the main difference for me is is sustainability and restraint and then you know while we're on the topic I just got finished filming something for the last two months and that's even more restraint and that's even more of a, you know, you're balancing your emotional, like, frequencies in a way that even eight shows a week doesn't really, it's nothing compared to, like, the kind of stuff that you do in film. So I think just, like, throughout my career, I, like, bumped up my, the challenge of sustainability and the challenge of restraint and focus mm. <laughs> through every project that I've done. So, yeah, I think, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but... Yeah, totally. I also, the fact that you just said sustaining your emotional frequency is that just like lit me up a little bit. So how do you, are there practices that you do to stay in that like zone of focus, especially when a lot is demanded from you as an actor and from your, you know, emotional state? How do you get into it? How do you balance that out? And how do you then like get out of it and and practice that self-care to get out of it? That's a, that's a great question. I, I, it, the only consistent thing in my life, as far as emotional, as far as like emotional care goes, 
is the realization that it's going to always change. And I, you know, we are such non-stagnant like creatures that I feel like it's too simple to be like, I'm just going to meditate every day and that's going to be it for me. You know, and I used to be that person. I used to meditate every day and I'm like, you know, I require a different set of things. Sometimes it's, you know, not kosher to say, but like sometimes it's a glass of wine before bed is the thing that I need. And, or sometimes the thing that I need is that I just need like two extra minutes to like be on my phone. Or sometimes it's, you know, that's the bad, the bad, quote, unquote bad stuff, you know, but sometimes what I need is just to like play with my cat. Sometimes what I need is a cup of coffee and just need like some extra time with myself. And I think that's what it comes down to is like, no matter what that time is, it can be meditative depending on if you are mindful of it. Like meditation is not just sitting there in silence. Like a lot of people are meditating, but not really meditating because they're not being mindful. Meditation in its whole practice is mindfulness of your surroundings and your inner. It's mindfulness of everything that's going on. And it's a discipline. So if you're disciplined in other ways, if your discipline is, I'm going to take 10 minutes to like do my coffee in the morning and it's ritualistic and it's mindful and I'm staying within myself while I do it. And that can be your meditation. And that's, that is something that is constantly changing for me and creating different opportunities for mindfulness in my life. When I also, when I don't have time to sit on the floor and meditate for 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that you just said that because that's so true. And that's really important to remember that it's not so much about the practice that you do. It's you can, you can meditate literally with any activity if it is mindful. And that's something that I, I love creativity because it's an act that you do that is that meditative, like self-care practice where you're just, it's something to be mindful. It's something to get into flow state. And so I'm so curious, like where you have learned this for yourself because that's so wise and that's so I, I just love that so have do you have a background in meditation or do you have a background in learning this stuff like did you grow up with this kind of stuff or where did you kind of learn this grounded centered human self <laughs> that's a great question my grandfather is actually this is I guess where it originated my interest in it and my not even interest because I'm not interested in it. I just grew up with it so it is part of me my grandfather is a saint he has an ashram in India. It's a sanctuary where people from around the world go to visit him and kind of seek optimism and positive visualization and kind of work through their traumas there with him. And they also do classes, you know, based on not only on meditation, but also on like past life regression if they want to see that or just kind of being more in touch with their subconsciousness and the relationship from, with their subconsciousness in the, in the universe and how to manifest things basically. I mean, manifest is a term that's been appropriated now in America, but positive visualization is really what he focuses on. So I guess that's kind of where it started, but my own journey with meditation and, and my understanding with the universe has been its, its own very separate, messy, amazing, beautiful thing sure yeah well you tell first of all I love that I kind of I love the synchronicity of that because I I lived on an ashram for a couple of years in my teenage life and I've been to India and like my family is all into that stuff so I love that that's the lineage that you come from and will you talk about some of your own journey with discovering that because yes like you said it is a very messy beautiful process so what has that been like for you I was just so you know, the way that it manifests is so different in, in different people. Like I think when I was a teenager, I was so, I think I always knew from the moment that I was younger, that I was, that I was destined for greatness mm -hmm. is the word that I would, the phrase that I would always use destined for greatness, but greatness can mean so many things. And that's always been changing for me. It doesn't only mean success and it doesn't only mean whatever, like greatness to me is living such a full, fulfilled, happy life and an honest life and one that I am allowed to follow my instincts through, you know, and that has been greatness to me. And so in that way, like I always decided that for myself, that I'm go, I'm destined for greatness. My life is destined for joy. And once you make that decision, the onus kind of is taken off of you to, to do anything differently than what you're doing, which is also a lot of what he talks about. My grandfather, it's kind of like, if you celebrate through every moment anyways, and if you are grateful through every moment anyways, then regardless of what happens, at least you can look back and be like, well, I was having the time of my life. And you know, 
easier said than done, but again, it, like anything, it is a discipline. And once you get into the practice of gratitude and once you get into the practice of celebrating things as if you've already won them, mm. it kind of doesn't, it starts to not matter whether or not you've actually gotten the things that you thought you wanted, you know? So, and that's really helpful. Um, so I guess that's where it's, where it's started and that, that phrase of I am destined for greatness. And I've just kind of ridden the wave of that as the definitions have changed throughout my life. Mm, yeah, that's such a beautiful message for us to really like receive the idea of once you make that decision, then it's not on you, you know, it's, it's up to the universe and you can just make every moment joyful. And so I'm super curious how this, you know, perspective, this point of view has influenced your artistry and your creativity throughout your life. Yeah. I, you know what I, th I think what it is, is, you know, in the same way that it takes onus off of you to make things work or, or to force something into fruition, it also helps, you know, in this insane industry, because it's like, if the marriage is not there, if the relationship is not there, then I'm not going to force it. It's not supposed to be. Mm. And I've learned throughout the years, actually, that there's more than enough jobs for everyone. Mm. There are, they're there. You know, everyone is talented. Everyone is trying their hardest. It really just depends on, it, you know, it's not that there's three jobs and everyone's fighting for them. There are a lot of jobs and there are a lot of things to do. You know, what it is, is are you clicking or are you not? And of course you have the systemic stuff and the systemic oppression and the politics and all that stuff. But I'm just speaking about the relationship you have with a project, you know, either it works or it doesn't. And I don't want to work with someone that doesn't see me for me. And I don't want to work with someone that, you know, I'm not going to put myself through that because my spiritual health is more important than that. You know, so, you know, if you have the privilege and, and the financial privilege to be able to be having conversations like this, then, you know, I invite you to, to think about it like that, that like, it's about, it's just as important that I like you and to really like prioritize that. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that's such an empowering perspective, again, for an artist to have, because I think the one of the biggest problems in the industry is that so many people don't see it that way. And like, when something doesn't work out, they immediately turn it on themselves and think something's wrong with me. I'm not right. I need to get better. But it's like, no, it's really about just whether it works or it doesn't. And again, you know, not even placing all the systemic stuff like you mentioned. Well, you talk about an experience where you did feel that click and you did feel that marriage and like, what was that like? And how did that feel? Yeah, I think, and it also reminds me of dating, by the way. It's like, you can get all about, heard about it, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's not that I don't like you, you're, you're lovely. I can feel lovely things about you, but it's just a different experience when you, when you feel someone that you really love and that you really like, just likes, just makes you buzz inside, you know? So it's those moments. I feel like you can totally tell it. It is a collaboration. I feel like a lot of the people that I've auditioned for, you know, I can walk out and be like, there was no magic there and we can feel that, you know, but you know, Octet is a great example of it, but there was also this other project that I didn't even end up doing because I think because of Octet, but I auditioned for it and it was so like from the very first audition I was so comfortable. I felt so like they are listening to me. They're hearing me and they're seeing me the way that I want to be seen. And it did feel like a collaboration from the beginning. And, you know, it's when you find casting directors that do that is so, and directors that do that, creative teams that do that. It's just like irreplaceable. It's such a great, great room to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that I never got to do it, but, but it was that moment of like, you're in the middle of singing or you're in the middle of, of, of doing your thing. And you can just tell that tonally all of you see the project in the same way. And that's what it really comes down to, which is why it's important for an actor to, to like actually embed themselves and visualize themselves as part of the project, mm. you know, rather than like hire me, hire me. It's like, what is this project? What is my opinion of this project? How do I see it staged? How do I visualize it being orchestrated? Mm. And if all of those things that I've decided are on, are the same tone as what these people have decided, then we have the same, we have the same likeness. We have the same, you know, impression of, of this artistic piece. Mm. And like, that's where it clicks in. Yeah. So it is so important. 
for an actor to be like a fully formed artist rather than and seen as that too from the creative side seen as a fully formed totally artist. yeah in your opinion like what does it mean to for an actor to be a fully formed artist like are there things like you talked about you know your homework in the beginning of this conversation things like that are there things that you do that you know that you need to do to really be that fully formed artist yeah i i mean i do but i'm like the worst person to talk about this because i i famously amongst my group of friends do not know lyrics i don't i'm like not up with the culture references i'm not like someone who pulls up videos of musical theater legends and i'm like oh yeah this iconic performance of da 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 da, da. i'm not that person like at all i'm so not that person so for me, it looks very different. I know a lot, and that works for a lot of people. I'm jealous of those people that they're able to just have that like history in their mind. Like my, like my friend, Natalie Walker is the prime example of that. Like she just like has files and files and files in her head of all of these like iconic historical videos and things that she can reference. That's not really me. That's not the kind of artist I am. For me, it's a lot more like I work through again, mindfulness within myself rather than outside files. And that's just what works for me. So it kind of really just depends on like the kind of artist you are. My version of artistry is being aware of how I feel about things. Mm. I will watch something and it's not going to be about the thing. It's not going to be about the name or the legend or the whatever. For me, it's way more about like, how do I feel about what I'm seeing, what I'm consuming? How much of it does, does it align tonally to what I want to be doing and how much doesn't it? What are the parts that I want to steal and what are the parts that I don't? And that's like something that I'm way more interested in and kind of the mindfulness of the like, of the tone of people's performances and, and also like the tone of people's kind of like invitation into their space is something that I'm interested in a lot. And also just like not denying myself of anything that is challenging. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I love that, like that it's based on feeling and like your intuition rather than all these external sources because again that might work for someone but the key is to just figure out what works for you and to let that be okay and instead of thinking like oh well you know this person does it this way so I should really get my history in in order but it's like you don't need to know that for what you're doing and for your life that's not as important for you to know than it is in like honing this skill of tuning in when does this really light me up and when does it not i mean like you know both both are and like I, I would be in a better position if i did know those things and if i did you know so i just got diagnosed with add to be frank and like i i don't i can't the details and the facts and the lyrics like those things just can't it doesn't stick for me at all so i have had to find another avenue you know a lot of the people that are successful like that's why they're successful they are they they know their references they know their culture they know their history and it is something that i that i you know would, it would be a different, I would be a different person if I was able to do those things for sure. But yeah, because that avenue was not available to me really, and it's hard for me to, to get on that path, I, I, I went a different avenue, you know, which is, which is, you gotta do. It works for me though. It definitely works for me. Yeah, that's super fascinating. How do you, like, what kind of things do you love to do and, and what kind of things do you want to do? And is that something, I'm curious to know if that's something that you know, or it's like, something that you're constantly figuring out and like, you know, things will prop up and you're like, oh, I get that feeling when I, when I see that. So maybe more of that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think like every project is so intricate in so many different ways that I never know until all of the things come together. So for this, for this movie that I just filmed, like when I got the self tape for it, I knew immediately that I wanted to do it. Like I read the breakdown and I was like, I want to do this, but I had no idea what I was actually in for. <laughs> like, you know, so as I kept auditioning and as I kept like collaborating with the director on it, I started to get more of an idea of what the tone of the actual piece was. And I was surprised that I ended up being a part of this like vulgar teen comedy. I like didn't expect that at all for myself. But then I was like, oh, but it kind of makes sense. It's kind of the same thing as like making the decision to be in the arts. Like every decision that I've made up till this moment has led me to this place. I've done the musical comedy stuff. I've done, you know, like I've, I've done things like this before in like small pieces. And it's like, all of this stuff is now coming together to like join in my knowledge to see what I can offer to this piece. So yeah, I think that's what it is. It's like, 
I, because I view every project so differently, I'm never able to be like, well, this project is like this project. Mm. I see every project so completely differently that I'm never able to be like, oh, this feels like something I could do. I never know until I'm like doing it, (laughs) whether or not I can do it and I, and I get there. But like, it's every single one I, I view as such a specific, specific thing because all of, in my head, it's like, it's like a dial and like all of the dials are like in different places and every project ha- is in a, has a dial in a different place. And wow. if the dial is something that I've really had a lot of experience in and it's a little bit higher, then I'm like, cool, this is something I'm kind of gravitated toward. And then there are certain projects that I've done that I've developed that like the dials are just a little off for me. And I like, I'm like I have kind of done something like this before, but something about it, just like, it's not happening. Hmm. It's not happening. And I'm not able to like actually provide any magic for this. So I'm not the person please employ someone else. It's not me. Wow. Yeah. That's such a cool visual way to think about it. And I don't think I ever thought about it like that, but just the way you laid it out, I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally see like how that would work. And then, you know, what you're gravitated towards, like if it's, if it's not working, it's not working. And if it is, then it's, it provides that next challenge. Do you find with each project that you do, that it teaches you something like about yourself or like, do you feel, I I guess there's that saying that like life imitates art and art imitates life. And I think that kind of like we've been talking about each project that you do is meant for you. And if like, if it wasn't supposed to be you bringing that story to life, bringing that character to life, then you wouldn't be. So what is your perspective, I guess, on what, what each project like gives you in your full human self do you know what I mean yeah I think I become a better person after every project that I do because I just understand more of who I am and who I used to be and who I can be in the future you know like Velma has Velma taught me something in Octet this person that I just played in the movie just taught me something I'm I'm talking about a lot because I literally just wrapped like a week ago so I'm still coming down from her a little bit and yeah they I mean they definitely definitely heal me in in different ways and there are projects that I do where it doesn't do a goddamn thing for me and when that happens it's like cool the dials were not we didn't make that we made something it wasn't magic but we made something and that's fine because along the way I did you know I I I reached I reached for things I reached as hard as I could and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen and that's fine you gotta learn to let it go you know yeah yeah, I love that that even that can even happen even when you book it. So but it's like knowing the difference of when you're fully in communion with that character and that that was like giving you something that you needed in that moment. I'm super curious about you putting together cabarets and like I you're all when I I mean back in January I was like seeing you on Instagram and you're like performing at 54 below every single night and doing your own shows and all of that. And so what does cabaret performance give you? And what is the process of like putting together your own show? Yeah. So I'm kind of, I'm still kind of figuring it out. Like when, when I perform for other people and they're just like, you know, come sing a song at my show. Uh, I feel like that I'm still figuring that out because that's really hard for me, I think. So I'm, I'm learning to get better at that, at being like, I'm doing nothing and then I'm coming in and I'm singing for five minutes and then I'm leaving the stage. Like that's a little harder for me. Doing my own show is something I'm definitely more, a little bit more interested in. And that is more exciting to me because I, 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 want, I write a lot and I want to construct something from scratch. I've only done two solo shows ever in New York. One of them was at the duplex and it was like two, three, three years ago, two years ago. And it was so, I mean, that was like my favorite solo show that I've ever done because it was like very writing heavy. It was not very music heavy actually. And it was kind of taking people through a journey of like how I saw Disney white love when I was in middle school through all of my crushes. And that was a really exciting show for me to do and to explore. The second show that I did was at 54 Below that solo show and that was like not as exciting and like I I was kind of in a stuck place and I did it and it was fine not my favorite I didn't really like the process of it and I think it was because it was so it was so music heavy in a way that I didn't understand the like the theme and the tone of like what I was trying to say it was a good experience to have because I look back now and I'm like okay I know what I should have done differently but that's the most vulnerable thing in the world is like it's my solo show. It's Kuhu Verma's solo show. I'm telling you to come see me and something that I made and I don't even really believe in it is like really hard to, 
to like understand and to come to terms with. Yeah. Yeah. That's so hard, especially I like also the, like the point of view of learning from the, I don't even want to call it a failure, but like things that you wish that you would have done differently and each experience is going to give you that. And so, you know, now next time you'll know what you need to give to yourself in order to feel really good about it. And again, I love that you bring up like this idea of the tone of the piece and really feeling in alignment with the tone and knowing what the tone is. And so that's just, I think an important thing to remember of like really kind of getting the vibe of it and knowing that, that like you are speaking the same language, if that makes sense. I was going to ask this earlier, but I want to circle back to it. But what do you do in the, you know, because the life of an actor, the life of an artist is that, you know, it's a lot of not working, you know, all year, you know, you might be doing a project for two months or a week or however long, but what do you do in the in-between moments of projects and how do you deal with that, like, feeling of not working or, you know, quote unquote, not working? Like, what does that look like for you? Uh, it looks like a lot of self-taught classes. You know, I, it looks like a lot of, like, picking up my guitar and just kind of, like, being there for three hours trying to learn one thing. It looks like a lot of writing. It looks like, yeah, it, it looks like a lot of, like, trying to stay engaged and be like a working machine. I think f for a lot of people, the, the reason why they're in such a dry spell sometimes and then they're having trouble cracking back in is because their instrument isn't being worked on. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird and terrible catch 22 because you have to be employed and you have to have a survival job and you have to do the thing. But the survival job and, and the distraction is taking you away from like exercising your craft and exercising your instrument. And so then when you go back into the audition room, it's clear that you haven't worked in a while, mm. you know? And hopefully that's not the case, but I, for, I can only speak for myself. Like, it's tough to like not be singing for a while and then suddenly come in and be like, what's happening? Like, I always have that moment of like, I think I forgot how to sing. I texted my voice teacher all the time. Like, I think I forgot how to sing. He was like, you didn't forget how to sing. Just like warm up and give yourself time. Like, you didn't forget. But I think that, you know, that's a really... It's a weird like hard like touch and go like stop and go hurry up and wait like situation that I won't avoid which is why I'm always like trying to trying to keep it up trying to keep up the practice yeah yeah what kind of do you have like your set vocal exercises that you do every day or like do you have the things that there do you have like systems set in place that you do or is it more about like filling up your creative cup and like engaging in, like you said, in those activities that make you. Yeah. Feel it's way more, it's way more about that. I mean, at this point in my life, like I have, I know enough about myself to know that if I try to like sit down and discipline myself and practice, it's not going to happen, yeah. you know? So I really, really have to like, if it's just like I'm washing the dishes and then I'm, you know, play a song and I get carried away, then so be it. Or if it's that like, I want to avoid doing a chore and I see my guitar and I'm like, I'm going to play you, you know, whatever it is, it, you know, it's like following the joy of it and the childlike nature of that is way more helpful for me. I think that there's such a like onus on like, you got to sit down and you got to practice and you got to like be an artist in your craft. And I'm like, you for sure do. Yes. But like, for me, I know it's not going to, I know it's not going to happen. If I call it practice, if the small difference between calling it practice and calling it jamming out will help my brain. Mm. you know and it's okay and I'm allowed to say that and for myself and I'm allowed to like say that it's a discipline but in the same moment be like but for me I'm not rehearsing I'm not practicing I'm just like finding music through, through my day in mm. whatever way I can yeah that's such a good point of like taking the pressure off because it's true for myself and I'm sure for many other people that like as soon as it's like this is something you have to do, then it's like, that's when you feel that dread. That's when you feel that major resistance. And then it's no, you're taking the joy out of it. And it's like, if this is your craft, why would you want to take the joy out of it? But also there are things that I have to do. Like for today, I have a rehearsal later. I have to learn a song for it. That's something I have to do is I have to learn the song. What I don't have to do is pull up my guitar and, and, and warm up and, all, and like learn my arpeggios. I don't have to do that. I choose to do that. Hopefully because it gives me joy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so beautiful. What are you working on now? I'm super curious. Um, kind of a lot of things. It's a lot of demos, like a lot of people that are just like asking me to 
sing for a lot of their stuff for like new musicals. It's a lot of that. One of my shows is going to NAMT. Not sure I wrote a show that I'm a part of. And yeah, there's there's a lot of different companies right now that are just kind of wanting to release content. And that's really great. I work with Shiz a lot. I don't know if you know about Shiz. Shana Taub and Matt Gehring have basically produced a show about musical comedy. They've taken a lot of like Broadway singers and had have, are having them do musical comedy because a lot of the time in musical comedy, it's people that are not singers doing musical comedy. So they were like, how funny would it be to get like actual Broadway singers and have them sing like actual Broadway songs and it tricks the audience into being like, I'm at a Broadway show. And then the sketch then f- comes out and it's actually like a ridiculous circumstance and it's like a funny situation. So that's something we've been doing for a couple of years. And so we're also releasing a lot of things with them and they partnered with National Lampoon. So that's gonna be, that's a really cool, cool collaboration. So. Oh my gosh, that's so much fun. Yeah, I was gonna ask like how, because it's awesome that you're working and that you were able to do a film for a couple months and now working on other stuff, but how has the pandemic really changed things for you and for your career? Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been like pretty lucky. I've been working a lot during the pandemic, which is really, it's such a weird thing because it feels like in broad, like specifically in the Broadway community and like I'm not really I don't consider I'm not part of the Broadway community really and like where I'm getting my work is not really the Broadway community but it seems like in the Broadway community all of the same like group of people are getting a lot of the work Mm. for virtual concerts and that kind of stuff so it's hard the wealth is it's not really it's not being distributed very very honestly and very equitably for me a lot of the work that I've gotten is from a lot of different sources it's been like a VO thing here a film thing here my comedy people have been giving me things here so it's really like the way that I've kind of managed my career in the last couple like years has been kind of diversifying all of the groups of people that I'm working with Mm. and so all of the different groups are coming at me with different things which is really nice and super super like lucky and that's just what it is it's just like it's just lucky and you know it is a privilege to be able to be in that situation that's a really good point about diversifying like the fact that you were able to diversify means that you know you are working right now yeah but i mean but again it is it is just fucking like dumb luck like you know and i if i wasn't doing i think i would be really screwed if i if that the movie didn't pick up and it was very close to not being picked up again mm. because we had started filming it in march when right like a week before the pandemic hit oh, wow. so we were fully in pre-production we were doing the thing and then they were like i'm so sorry we got shut down and we were sent home so i spent three four months here in pennsylvania, in pennsylvania with my family here in new york city and then when they i i was for sure i was like it's done like we're not you know, they're not going to pick it back up. Why would they pick it back up? But apparently Hulu like really, really, really wanted to do it. So they were like, we're going to put in the money for PPE and for Corona, like for compliance coordinators for COVID. Let's just do it during a pandemic. Let's just shoot the thing, which is just insane. Uh, wow. And I can't, believe, I can't believe we did it. But if, if it wasn't for that project, I think I would be in a very different situation right now. Mm-hmm. So it really was just like the luckiest timing in the world that I was able to do it. Yeah, wow. That's so crazy. I wanted to ask you, and like, again, I don't know if this is a whole another episode or like a whole different can of worms, but talking about privilege in the theater industry and in the the fact that it's so white dominated and there's not as much representation, how has that really impacted you and your career? And like, how has that impacted your passion or for, for change or for seeing change. I remember seeing your speech for getting the Lucille Lortel Award and talking about how important it was for you to see people like you getting awards like these. And so what is what is your view on all that and, and where do you see change really happening? Yeah, to your point uh, about the Lucille Lortel Award, I'm like, yeah, I think there was like one or two other Indian actors that, that have gotten it in their career. But the bigger issue is that I haven't heard their names beyond it. Mm. You know, it's a huge thing because it's like it is a big, it is a big-ish award, and you know, it is a, it is a great honor. And you know, I, I was very proud of myself when I got it because it's something that I have heard about, just kind of being a student in New York and have seen like older people who I really admire win it and be really kind of like shocked by it and like starstruck by it. 
But the issue is that when these things happen, you know, it's a different kind of influence to say that a white person got a Lucy Lortel award and there, it feels more legitimate to people that are hearing that rather than a person of color. So, you know, you hear that and because there's such unfamiliarity with the name, people just don't legitimize it as much as with a white person mm. winning it. And I think that's, that's the greater issue when I was looking through my research and I was just like, where are these people now? Because I can see like they were all kind of in the same kind of point in their career and the people that were not white, where did they go? Where did they wither away or peel off? Where are the white people that were at the same point in their careers just shot up afterward? And of course, there's a lot of factors there. And there are people of color still working that have gotten Lucille, for, of course, for sure. But it's just like the ratio of it that is like kind of like jarring and kind of, you know, disappointing. So I mean, for, for me, like it, Imposter syndrome is so real for a lot of people, but especially for people of color in this industry, it is, it is a white industry. Broadway has always been a white industry. The numbers are obscene. They're obscene. They're really disappointing. And it's an industry that, you know, I know doesn't like people like me on the whole. And so it is kind of, it is frustrating and it is a constant conflict to be able to want to make stuff and, and want to like butt heads with this industry that like doesn't really care for me at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then you remember the people and the collaborators and the allies that do exist. Yeah. And I have a long list of them, a long list of people that are in this industry that are working in this industry who are such good allies and, and, and collaborators and artists that like, it's not even a thought for them. And it's not that they're, they're diversifying for the sake of diversifying. They're taking the responsibility to tell the most truthful stories that they possibly can with the people that they love and admire. Mm-hmm. And that to me is such a vote of confidence and such a validation. And it, it totally changes the game for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important then to bring up like the collaborators that you do believe in and that believe in you and, and focusing on those relationships rather than, you know, focusing on the industry as a whole, because that can get super overwhelming and disheartening. And yeah. Will you talk about some of your collaborators and, the relationships that you've built with them and how do you like foster and cultivate those types of relationships? Cause I think that's something that young artists really hope for and dream for. And you work with so many awesome people. I mean, it just speaks to how awesome you are, but I think that's something that people would be really interested in hearing. Like, how do you develop a relationship like that? How do you um, cultivate it and nurture that type of relationship? I don't know if I'm the, if I'm the right person to talk about this with to be honest with you because a lot of the relationship that I've that I've made has just has just been it's been through reference it's been so many people just being like you want to work with this person like work with this person or like if you're looking for someone this is the person to contact you know mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day it's it's honest to god it's be a nice person be open be I mean yeah be be honest about where you are at give yourself people will understand don't people don't put people so much on a pedestal that you feel like you cannot tell them where you're at and like share your humanity with them yeah you know like don't assume that just because someone has worked that they're going to be an asshole or that they're going to be you know we're all in this same business of trying to like trying to get humanity out there and that's it so like go from that assumption if they prove you wrong by all means write them off yeah. But let them let them prove you wrong first. Mm-hmm. Don't don't go in there jaded, you know? It's just like not worth it. And and for me, like I I do see them as people. I see them as people. I see them as 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 artists that are just figuring it out. We are all figuring it out. We're all rising together. It doesn't matter if you have three Grammys, we're still rising together, you know? And that's that's a really humanizing the, your heroes, I think is like a really important part of it. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, like I, you know, I was just like, I was working right out of school and someone just gave me a reference of like, someone told Shana Taub, like, you want to work with this person? And that was the beginning of a really, really beautiful relationship. And I was in all these crazy rooms and people started to get to know about me and just like referred me all the time, referred me, referred me, referred me. Until now I have just like this like huge, like vast root of like people in this home base who believe in me and I believe in them and you know we depend on each other but yeah the 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 biggest gratitude for me in that is 
they didn't have to believe in me and they didn't have to take a leap of faith with me. I don't have anything on my resume. That's, that's the thing that I think people get really, they're like, I don't have things on my resume. So like how will people, you know, like I'm no, I'm a no one. Okay. I was a no one. I'm still a no one. Like I don't have that many things on my resume. It doesn't really, it doesn't matter. Like if you're good and if someone is kind enough to take a leap of faith for you and like trust in you and foster your knowledge and foster your relationship, then like, that's all you can really ask for. Yeah. Go on that journey with them. You know, it's, it's the greatest vote of confidence in the world. Totally. Yeah. And I, I also love, like, I feel like it's come up a few times in our conversation of you being like, I don't know if I'm the person to ask, but I actually love your perspective because you are the person to ask because it's so beautiful to see someone who, you know, isn't like, Oh, I'm going to work with this person. Then I'm going to work with this person. It's like, no, you're just fully being yourself and fully like being strong and embodied in what you do. And that is what is attracting like all of the opportunities and all of, you know, the people referring you to other people, like seeing that is such an important piece to remember that it's like, no, you just, like you said, like you're in gratitude, you're, you know, great. You're mindful of the things that you're doing and that's where success comes from. So I think that's really important to remember. Do you ever have those moments of like, oh my God, I'm in the room with this person. Like, ah, like, do you, do you have that? Yeah. A lot of the time I, I, yes and no like a lot of the time no because I'm like I don't know I I don't know you like I'm I'm intrigued by your work and I'm like oh my god the stuff that you've done that's amazing the one time that I broke during a performance was during Octet when Stephen Sondheim was in the audience and that fucked me up because I'm like because at the end of the day I'm like okay I don't know you Stephen Sondheim like you don't know me you don't care about me and like to be honest like all a lot of these composers like they don't care about fostering young people of color. They don't give a fuck. So like, I know that our politics are not going to match. I know that, you know, we're not going to, we're not, we wouldn't be besties. So like that, that also helps compartmentalize to be like, I know you don't give a fuck about me, but you being in this room right now and me knowing what you've done and admiring you so much and loving so many of your shows, that gives me chills. I'm like, you made this beautiful thing. And I'm like, that really screwed me up. And of course, like, of course there's fangirly moments of like, I feel like I, I fangirl about the people that uh, are not so, so big because the people that are like really, really big, I'm like, well, I, I literally don't know you at all. But the people that I've heard about for years through like, like with Shayna, when I first met Shayna, I was like, oh my God, you're Shayna Taub. Like, I've heard so many good things about you. People have said that you're the nicest person. Like I said, like, I already know that you're a good person. Mm. And like, that's scarier. Cause I'm like, I want to be friends with you. <laughs> like, I want to work with you and I want to be friends with you. Um, and Grace McLean and like Joe Lampert and like those people, like the off-Broadway, like Broadway people that I really love. Yeah, I, I tend to be a little bit more fangirly about those people for sure. I love that. Will you tell us, so I, at the end of the episode, I always love to give like creative resources to people. So what are you listening to? What are you reading? What is inspiring you right now that you'd like to share with everyone? That's such a great question. So let's see, Esperanza Spalding is really inspiring me right now. James Blake is really inspiring me right now. I'm watching, I just got finished watching Pen15. I'm sure a lot of people have already watched Pen15. I'm in love with it and also I started watching it because of the, the film that I was doing I'm playing a high schooler in it and I just wanted to like visit I wanted to visit the, the like the youthful best friend dynamic so I love 15 if you haven't caught up with Bojack Horseman yet do that that's one of my favorite shows of all time is Bojack Horseman and Black Mirror so I love those what else if you haven't checked out Oh, here's like a couple plugs, not for myself, but for composers that I really believe in. Chiang Un and Eric Sorrells are a composer team that I'm absolutely in love with. They're so talented and they're about to blow the hell up. So like definitely catch their stuff. They're writing a show called Maya and it's one of my, probably my favorite show that I've ever been in ever. It's so fucking fun. And I'm hoping that it's going to be in production the next couple years. Like they're still developing. We're still working on it, but like keep your eye out for that. There are like demos and stuff on SoundCloud, they're pretty easily findable. So I would say keep an eye out for that. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love new musical theater. So I'll definitely check that out. And what was the song that you, I feel like you mentioned a song at the beginning that you were going to pull up. 
You were like, I'm listening to new music. Yes, I sure am. It's Lizzie McAlpine. Do you know her? No. It's someone just suggested this album to me by Lizzie McAlpine. It's her like newest album. It's called Give Me a Minute. And it's apparently one of the most like heart ouch <laughs> albums ever. So I love exploring that right now. But one of my favorite albums in the world right now is Assume Form by James Blake. I love James Blake a lot. So I would also check out James Blake. Ooh, I love that. And will you tell us where to find you? Where can we find some, like, when is your movie coming out? Where can we find some of the things that you're involved in? Movie's gonna be, since we just wrapped, movie's gonna be like six months at the very least. It's called Plan B. So that's gonna be a couple months and it's gonna be on Hulu. If you wanna find me and my stuff, my Instagram's probably your best bet and is at what is a Kuhu. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Kuhu. You're amazing. You inspire me so much. And I mean, you're already a big deal to me and to many others. And I just feel like you're going to, you're going to soar. So I'm like, I'm going to remember the day that I interviewed Kuhu Verma. So I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> that day is already here, but thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time. Yeah, you're amazing. Likewise. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Soul Podcast, and thank you so much for listening. If you liked this podcast, please feel free to send it to a friend and tell them what inspired you, or feel free to connect with me over on Instagram at the underscore modern mermaid with your thoughts. And if you would be so kind to rate and review the podcast, I would love to gift you my guided writing meditation that will help you connect deeper to yourself, your creativity, and your spirituality. Just take a screenshot of the review and send it my way at the underscore modern mermaid, and I will send over the meditation. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul.